Hey guys, this is Jeff Stanek with Figure It Out Baseball. We've got a really great Figure It Out Baseball podcast for you today. We're being joined by Michael McHenry, who is known as The Fort. Uh, he is a former Major League catcher and current studio analyst, as well as um, a color analyst for the Pittsburgh Pirates. I'll give you a background on Michael so you know a little bit about uh, just his, his playing career and what he's done to this point, so you know him a little better if you're not already familiar with him, and, and then we'll jump into questions with him. Michael is a Knoxville, Tennessee native. He played collegiately at Middle Tennessee State. Uh, he was drafted in the seventh round by the Colorado Rockies in 2006. Made his major league debut with the Rockies in 2010. Then in March 2011, he was traded to the Boston Red Sox. A couple months later, in June 2011, he was traded to the Pittsburgh Pirates. He played for the Pittsburgh Pirates in the 2011 through 2013 seasons. Uh, one memorable moment there was in 2011. On July 26th, he was the catcher involved in a controversial play with the Braves, uh, played the plate in the bottom of the 19th, where it looked like we had an out call. I say we, as in the Pirates, looked like we had an out call at home, Jerry Meals, um, called the runner safe and uh it was a it was a big it was a really big play for the pirates and we'll probably get into that at some point with michael uh with the pirates he had his best career year in 2012 where he hit 233 overall with 12 home runs and 39 rbis as uh, primarily as the backup catcher he tore his meniscus in 2013 and was designated for assignment by the pirates uh then he went back to the rockies played with the rockies in 2014 and 2015 in 2014, had a great year, hit 315 with eight home runs and a 9-10 OPS. Again, as a backup catcher, really terrific off offensive numbers for a backup catcher. Uh, 2015, uh, ran to a bit of a roadblock, played uh, the majority of the season with a partially torn meniscus, which we'll probably also talk about at some point just to, to get into that a little further. Then uh, things got a little rocky for, uh, for Michael in his career. In 2016, he signed with the Rangers was hurt in spring training, and, and there was a, a mutual release. Then he played, caught on with the St. Louis Cardinals, played three games in the big leagues with the Cardinals in 2016 before being, being designated for assignment in, on July 19th. Three days later, July 22nd, he signed with the Braves, stayed in the minor leagues for the rest of that season, and then in August he was traded to the Brewers. In December 2016, he signed a minor league contract with the Rays, played all of 2017 in the minor leagues, uh, before deciding to uh, to hang up the spikes. In his career in the major leagues, he played parts of seven seasons in the big leagues, appeared in 311 career games, had 839 career major league at-bats, hit 29 career major league homers. Um, then in February of 2018, he joined Middle Tennessee State as a director of player development. Then in February 2019, that's when he caught on, uh, went back with the Pirates. It was announced in February that year that he would replace uh, the legendary Kent Tocolvi as a studio analyst for AT&T Sportsnet in Pittsburgh. And then just this past year, well, 2020 was going to be his first season, uh, splitting time with some other guys as a color analyst on the TV and radio side. Uh, but right now we are in early April and uh, in, a, in a period where baseball is still shut down. Hopefully we get to play at some point and get to hear Michael on the air. But, uh, Michael, really appreciate you spending some time with us today on the podcast. I really appreciate you having me, and thank you for the great bio and introduction. That was uh, humbling. It's fun to talk with major leaguers. For me, um, I just I, I like hearing a lot of the stories, and I like hear, th hearing things that go on behind the scenes and kind of the life. Um, now, for you, you were not drafted out of high school. You were a seventh-round draft pick out of college. Um, 
was there was there any buzz in high school about potentially being drafted, or did you did you make that much progress, uh, you know, from from high school into college, where you ended up being a seventh rounder? Because a lot of times a seventh rounder will at least be getting you know a decent amount of interest out of high school. Was that at all a, a possibility for you, or or really did you not get a lot of looks at high school from pro teams? I kind of fell under the radar. Um, the time when I was in a high school was a lot different than it is now. There wasn't the capabilities of showing the type of things guys can do with analytics and the data that's available nowadays. I mean, if you go to a showcase, if you go to like one of the big ones on the East Coast, East Coast Professional Showcase, you're playing against the best guys on the East Coast. Well, now they'll track your bat angle, your bat speed, your <laughs> your attack angle. They'll do all these different elements so scouts can really see where a guy's at and where he's projected to go. You know, back in the day, it was more about what's his size, you know, his projectability is all about his athletic look more than it is off of um, numbers that are not biased, I guess to say. So I had a great high school career. Um, we were second in the country after my senior year. Um, still have some pretty cool records in high school and in the state, uh, but just because of my size and you know, my projectability, so to speak, it uh, you know kind of pushed me back to not be on the professional radar, and it also hurt me trying to get into college. I didn't get recruited as hard as I thought I would, and um, ended up had to kind of pursue some of the colleges on my own. Um, I was very persistent, very strong-willed, so uh, it worked out well for me. And um, one thing I do regret, we can get into this a little bit more, is you know because of that, you know putting up great numbers, setting some records, doing some things, um, and then being very humbled very quickly. At my freshman year in college, at 169, I uh, really struggled, never struggled my entire um, career up to that point. I'm 19 years old. And I, I look back on it now, I wouldn't change it for the world. I learned so much, changed my swing a little bit going into my sophomore year during the summer. But I put so much pressure on myself because I was trying to be – more than I possibly could because of not getting looked at, not, you know, I wanted to prove so many people wrong that I almost put so much pressure on myself that I started to not enjoy the game as much and I started to resent it a little bit because it's just really tough sometimes when you don't know how to deal with failure, you put that added pressure on yourself. I had, uh, you know, some similar times where just from, from struggles, uh, once I got out of high school, and I, and, I, and I was kind of the same way, didn't really struggle in high school at any point, uh, or up through high school, had never really struggled before, and, and college was a different scene, and, um, you know, I, I, at some point, I started to really question, you know, whether or not I could do it, because I was such a, a stat-aware uh, person, and I knew what my batting average was, and I, I knew the struggles I was having, and at some point, kind of started to question uh, my ability to a degree, but also, um, you know, I, I was I was the type of guy like in my mind I was like, okay, if I can get three hits today, <laughs> then my my average will you know th- then I'll be back on track, and that's that's a really uh, bad place to get in. Did you did you get to a place like that, or how did you uh, just maintain your confidence and come back from a season like that uh, to be able to have the season that you did as a sophomore in college? I wasn't a stat guy. Uh, fortunately, I had a great, I mean, one of the greatest men I know is my former high school coach, Tommy Farr. Uh, if you look him up, he's one of the best high school coaches of all time. Uh, he was really big on staying away from stats. So when they were releasing the stats throughout the state, 
Farragut High School never would release their stats until the end of the season. And he did that on purpose because he wanted us to focus on, you know, each bat at hand, each pitch at hand, and focus on the team aspect and not worry about our stats. And as a high school kid, a college kid, of course you want to see your stats. You want to see where you're stacked up. But it gave me a different outlook. So when I was struggling, I was putting myself in a hole because of how hard I was working off, off the field. I mean, I ended up getting mono and uh, having a knee surgery. I, I worked myself to the bone. I mean, when I say, like, I worked, I was getting up at you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, going and hit, then practice, and I'd hit afterwards, and I'd go back at night. I mean, I was doing way too much, and I worked myself to the bone, and I worked myself to a mental fatigue. And that's when I started to realize I, I started to feel resentment towards the game, and I needed to have some fun again. I, I wasn't enjoying the process. I wasn't learning from my failure. I was so frustrated and so mad about you know not being as good as I thought I was or could be and people told me that I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. It was the first time I hadn't started. I was, I was more of a defensive replacement in college my freshman year. And, you know, looking back on it and having conversations with my college coach, that was part of the learning experience that he wanted me to have. He wanted me to understand how hard it can be and how hard it was. We went to the regional that year. We played Georgia. You know, we, we were top, uh, almost a top 25 team out of Middle Tennessee State, which is very rare. I was part of a great team, and I was missing it. And once I realized that, I started to really take a, a right-hand turn and clean it up, clean up my mindset, really focus on just trying to grow day in, day out, not worry about the results. And that's kind of how I approached it as a coach when I got to college. Luckily, I had some really good college coaches that I coached under. Um, I should say once I, you know, once I got into my coaching career, that's how I approached it with our players. But uh, uh, I had some really good college coaches that, that would not – uh, wouldn't pay any attention to or, or, or post or, or anything, uh, whether it was in the fall. Uh, you, don't, you know, you don't have stats online in the fall, but guys wanted to know what they were doing, and I had some coaches that paid a lot more attention to quality at bad average, and that's what we showed guys because that's it's more controllable. And, and in the game, you know, I guess one of the bad some of the bad things about the stats that are that you see like in a you know maybe not so much now, but even five years ago, you see you'll watch a major league game, you see batting average, home runs, RBIs. And uh, and that's what you see in the on the big scoreboard, you know. And uh, but focusing on quality of bats, we felt like a lot more controllable for the hitter. And and if you you know, hit a line drive at somebody, the box score in the newspaper says that you you had a bad at bat. Or you know if you go for four and hit three missiles, the the box score says you had a bad day. Um, but the quality of bat, if you have three quality of bats out of four, that's a pretty darn good day. That's all you can do is it's try to have the best at bat you can. You know get a base get on base any way you can pick a good pitch, try to hit it hard, and uh, so we try to focus more on those controllable things like it sounds like your coaches had you do. Um, once you got into the minor leagues, Michael, uh, as, a, as a fairly high draft pick, not a first rounder, but a top 10 rounder is always uh, a pretty good place to start. What was it like for you, life like in the minor leagues? Um, you know, it didn't take you that long to get to the big leagues and make your debut, but what was life like there uh, just, you know, going from college baseball and experiencing pro baseball for the first time? You know, first first off, getting away for college was one of the greatest godsends for me. Um, a lot of kids want to stay home and they want to go to their hometown team. There's nothing wrong with that. But I felt like being able to get out of my house, get down the road just two and a half hours away from my, from 
from where I grew up in Knoxville. I'm in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. That when I got drafted, I went I went to Washington State. So I went all the way across the country. And I wasn't nervous about it. I wasn't anxious. I was just ready to go. I, I, I'd already done my own laundry. I'd, I'd been cooking for myself. I knew how to balance a checkbook. I knew all the things that you should know if you're living on your own and you're doing those things where a lot of my friends, a lot of guys that were in pro ball didn't know any of this stuff. They, they didn't, they didn't realize, Hey, I can, you know, I played summer ball for two years and I bought, I bought my own bats. I'd save up during the winter while I'd work and I'd buy my own bats for summer ball. And I did the same thing, you know, when I got to pro ball. So I had better bats than a lot of the guys, except the guys that probably got drafted before me or their agents may have gotten their bats. But I, I really grew up fast. And that gave me a little bit of an edge going into pro ball. And when I got there, if I didn't have that mindset of, of really trying to grow daily and not worry about the results, my first year I led the entire uh, draft class, rookie ball and short season and quality of bats, but I hit 220. So, you know, I only had about 200 of bats, uh, but I, my line drive percentage was high. Uh, my hard contact percentage was high. That's when analytics were coming about, but we didn't know about them as players. And that really jump-started a lot of things. I ended up, you know, being able to uh, go to winter development that year as a young player. I was around big league guys for the first time, you know, really learning how to do a bunch of different things, ins and outs of the operations um, in Colorado, getting to know the city. thought it was a really cool experience and really amazing that the front office uh, brought guys in to get them acquainted to the city so when they got there, it wasn't overwhelming. And remember, I'm only, I'm only 21 years old at the time. First big league camp uh, was my first spring training. They wanted me just to come in and keep my mouth shut and catch and learn. Spent four weeks just catching bullpens. It became a, kind of a joke. Um, but I caught bullpens and moved on, went to short season. That's where I started to kind of fall back into that mold of putting a little too much pressure on myself. Luckily, I had incredible coaches pulled me in the office and told me, man, you have the ability, trust it, go out there, have fun, you have nothing to prove. And I really, you know, took off after that. It really helped me to understand that year um, between short season or between low A and the Hawaiian League. I hit 27 home runs. The next year did the same thing between high A and um, the fall league. And in between all this, during the winter, I was going to Denver for, for about three weeks. That's what a lot of people don't understand. You have rookie development. Then I go to double A. Then I go to winter ball in the Dominican Republic. Then off to Colorado Springs and triple A. And then that was my first year in the big leagues, 2010. And um, from there, you know, was very fortunate to get traded to Boston, Boston to Pittsburgh. Spent about the next uh, four years straight in the big leagues, got hurt again, and kind of moved around a lot. But it's it's an exciting journey. I, I had a lot of ups and downs, but I wouldn't trade any of it for the world because it's made me who I am. And I think you learn the most through your adversities, like I've said in the past in this conversation. So. For people that don't know about the minor leagues, it's, it's not glitz and glamour. Um, there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. There's good cities. There's bad cities. But a lot of what you know you hear of the horror stories is true, and a lot of what you hear about you know the great graces of the game and, and the amazing uh, camaraderie you can have with, with teammates in the minor leagues is also true. And in the big leagues, it's you know just night and day compared to the minor leagues. What was the toughest part of going through the minor leagues uh, for people who haven't experienced it? You know, is it is it the pay? Is it the bus rides? Is it you know the the meal options? Um, 
just you know learning I guess for the first time to play every single day whereas in college you're playing four days a week um, typically um, what, what was it for you that was maybe the most difficult part about the minor leagues I would say the movement um, you know when I so like I told you from 06 to 2010 I didn't spend a full offseason at home I was always at spring training early doing a prospect camp or doing something um, you know, you're supposed to have four or five months at home. I really just had two to three months, maybe, because I played Winter Bowl. I played in the Fall League. I played in Hawaii. I was at the medical uh, mini camp. I was at the rookie development camp. I was at uh, the winter development camp. So being away from family and my wife, uh, fiance at the, at the time, uh, could get hard at times. That was probably the hardest part and the part that never changed, whether you're in the big leagues, you know, whether you're getting designated and moving around, getting traded, the, the sacrifices the people around you are making and the longevity of being away from home can get tough. That's that's probably the hardest. Now you're chasing your dreams, so you know, there's a lot of times where you can get you know, your mind focused on that and it really helps, but it's still that human element that it, it can pull on your heartstrings very, very quickly when you're not seeing your fiancé or wife for a month and a half or six weeks or you've got a six-hour time difference and she's working full-time and you're writing emails to really try to keep in contact. So it, that's probably the hardest thing, the bus rides and stuff like that. You know, they are what they are. You just had fun. You did what you you know had to do and you look forward to the next game you got to play and that really kept your focus off anything that happened, whether your bus broke down, you know, there's no air conditioning in your hotel room or you're living with – uh, three guys, and two of them are married in, the, in a one-bedroom apartment. It's just like you just make do because you're chasing something that you love and the risk to reward is so high. And then looking back at it, I, I didn't realize until, you know, going back in the minor league and spending, you know, a lot of 2016 and a lot of and all of 2017 in the minor league, I, I didn't realize how bad it was with, with nutrition. You know, we didn't have, you know, the protein shakes, the, the non-dairy, non-GMO, and all these different elements that the minor league guys have now. They, they have the opportunity to get fish oil and do all these different things that we didn't even, you know, have the opportunity to see. If we, if we were going to do it, we had to talk to our strength coach, get it okayed, understand it, and then get it on our own. So all that really has shifted in the minor leagues. Um, the travel is very similar. The hotels have gotten a little bit better. But, you know, all in all, like, looking back, the nutrition and taking care of your body, the mobility, all those things that have changed drastically since I was in the minor leagues, it baffles my mind sometimes that we didn't have some of those things. I mean, it really does. It's, it's, it's such a game changer um, when I think about it. And as I got older, how important it was to, you know, recover, stretch, mobility, and, and eat right. If I would have been doing that, uh, if I would have known the information I knew then, I was still eating well, but I didn't know all this mobility movement stuff that is, that is a, a aware in today's game. So I think it really would have helped me to understand that as a young player. At what point did you think that you actually had a shot? Um, I mean, you probably maybe you always did because you were a seventh rounder, and I, I think you know a lot of top ten rounders probably expected they'll get to the big leagues at some at some point. But when for you, and, and it could have been college, you know, Michael, but when did you actually feel like, like, I've got a shot here to, to get to the big leagues and actually be a major leaguer? 
I would say since I was a, a little kid, it was it was the dream, you know, and I was so strong-willed. I was always thinking, like, this is my journey, this is what I'm doing, this is my journey, and I really created my, my life around chasing the dream. You know, even when I was seven years old, you know, it was baseball, 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 and everything else wrapped around that. All the way through high school, through college, that's where it was. So I always had it in the back of my mind, but doubt settled in a lot along the way. Failure settled in. And when I really had a good idea that I was going to get drafted and get pro ball was my junior year. Uh, had a great year as an All-American. Uh, was was talking to a lot of the teams um, across the board. Uh, agents were calling. And that's when it got real. I think up until then, um, I was still had that, that mindset of like, don't settle, don't assume, don't settle, don't assume, just move forward. Because in high school, you know, I settled a little bit, I assumed a little bit, and it hurt me. And I ended up paying for it my freshman year in college. So ever since then, I, I never settled, I never assumed. I, I prepared every single day for the worst, expected the best. And it really helped me to just focus on what I could do and not worry about the things I can't do. And I couldn't control getting drafted or you know, where I was going to get drafted. I just waited you know, for that phone call on June 6th, and it came, and you know, the rest is history. Did you have some people in the minor leagues, maybe coaches um, or some other players around you, that, that kind of helped you uh, to be the, the guy that you were in the major leagues or any particular the coaches in the, in the minor leagues or, again, or other players maybe? And I don't know if this actually how much this happens, but, like, if you're in the minor, uh, if you're in the minor leagues and a, and a major leaguer comes down for a rehab assignment and maybe spends a week in the same city as you, and I don't, I don't know if anything like that ever happened, but are there any people that you can point to, coaches or other players that that really helped you on that journey and and become someone who was set up to have a successful major league career? Yes. Yeah, so the single greatest man, man uh, that impacted my life was Tommy Ford, uh, my high school coach. Uh, still close to him, still talk to him, and then along the journey. You know, I really learned how to become a catcher through my college coach, uh, Steve Peterson, who just passed away. Um, and he, he taught me that, that you should have grit, and it's your pitching staff. And he allowed me to call um, my own game from first game in college. It, it, the respect he had for the catching position and, and how he expected you to be tough, and there's no excuses. And I remember one time I'm, I – I had MRSA in my right knee. He looked at me and said, you, you don't exist until you're healthy. And I, had, I literally had a surgery that I, I went into thinking that they could possibly cut up my leg. So I didn't know if I was going to come out of the surgery even with a leg. And the man that I looked up to told me I didn't exist until I was healthy. And it, it fired me up so much, you'd think I'd be upset, I'd be mad. I was like, okay, I'm going to beat this, and I'm going to be on the field before he even knows it. And it works. My, my, my mindset really tricked my body into doing things it shouldn't have done. And luckily, I was on the field, you know, almost two weeks before I was supposed to be. So, like, you know, you have that guy who really impacted me. And then when I got into pro ball, uh, Houston Jimenez, uh, the hitting coach, uh, in my first season, uh, short season, and then in uh, low A, really took a hold of me and almost made me like his – his adopted son. Uh, he was a little guy. He played 22 years. 
professionally, and for some reason we just really hit it off. And he believed in me, um, maybe to a default at times, and he just kind of rode rode the ride with me for two years, and really made me believe no matter what anybody says about my size, about my stature, it doesn't matter. Just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I promise you, you'll be the one at the end of the tunnel. And he was right. And then from there, uh, Marv Foley. There's so many guys I could thank. But uh, Jerry Weinstein, who's a mentor of mine now, uh, is one of the catching gurus across the country. And then one player that really jumps out is Michael Kadire. Um, that 2014 season you were talking about, he's the, he, he's the guy that really taught me how to kind of take my – I play to the next level off the bench and own it. So change my mindset, BP, in the sense of how my routine was worked, depending on the guy I was probably going to face that that series or even that game or in the pinch in the pinch hit role, you know, kind of the the kind of swagger you needed to have, even from uh, the first pitch of the game, even though you probably aren't going to hit for the eighth inning. I mean, he really taught me so much. He's one of the greatest baseball minds I've, I've talked to. So. There's, there's so many that I could say, but uh, if I did you know, keep it to a fab five, that's, that's probably it right there. Once you got to the big leagues, uh, as most big leaguers do, I'm sure, there was still still a lot of adversity. Um, you know, being designated for assignment several times, uh, being traded several times, you know, catching on with a bunch of uh, with several different teams, having injuries. Um, all, all that, all that sort of stuff. When you're going through all that, Michael, and you know, sometimes people look at at major league players like, you know, and I don't even want to, not even just like the superstars, but look at anybody that's in a major league uniform and just think that 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 they don't, uh, I guess, go through those things or they don't have difficult times and they don't they don't have they don't struggle just because they're. You know, to this to the normal person and major leaguers like living a dream, you know, living a dream world, uh, where they just they don't deal with the things that normal people deal with. Um, how did you how did you and your family uh, deal with some of the adversity there? Whether again, whether it's being traded, whether it's going through injuries, and, and I got to imagine that when you're uh, a major leaguer and you have a fairly serious injury, especially a knee injury as a catcher, which you've had several of them. You know, every one of them, you you may you know, do maybe you have thoughts of like, am I going to be able to return and be the same guy I was and still play? You know, can you talk about some of the adversity you experienced in the major leagues and just maybe how your family or again some other players or coaches helped you to come back and continue to have success through through some of the uh, you know designations and the injuries and other things that you that you went through. Loaded question, I know. No, no, it's a great <laughs> question, and I, I think. Uh, it brings a, a reality to the game. If you're in a major league uniform and on that field, you're still a human being. And no matter what, you can't run away from the world's problems. You can't run away from death. You can't run away from injury. You can't run away from tough luck or um, really anything. And the reality of it is everybody goes through it in some sort, some more than others. And the reason why, you know, I'll ask God at the pearly gates. But, yeah, there's times where it was very hard. In 2013, you go from being the the team, you're part of the team from 2011, 2012, where you're flirting in first place to bring a city back into 
a winning baseball tradition. You fall off those two years, but then 2013, all of a sudden, boom, we're in the playoffs. Blackout game in 2013, which is one of the greatest baseball moments of my life, to getting designated. And just because you got hurt doing something you love, doing something at a very high level. I mean, the day I got hurt in Miami, I was four for four when I slid into second base, and my knee just completely uh, torqued in a weird way, and my meniscus split in half. Uncontrollable, bad circumstance. I finished the game, and, and, and we moved forward and kind of knew at that moment, I mean, literally, as soon as my knee hit that bag, I knew I was going to get designated because I'm not a superstar. I wasn't, you know, a guy that couldn't maybe be replaced in their minds, and I was up for arbitration. So I knew, like, all the, you know, the triple fold of, of you don't want to have happen when you get hurt is literally happening all in real time in just a split second in my mind. So you keep going through, you know, different things throughout your life. I mean, I remember the hardest thing I went through in all of baseball was in 2008 when my dad, my wife's dad passed away. But the, the grace that the organization that Colorado gave me and Clint Hurdle, even though I was in high A, calling me and checking on me and checking on Jacqueline and, you know, the, the, the uh, coordinators calling, the GM calling, the scout, scouting director, all these guys calling and checking on me. Just realize how big of a family you have. They let me be home for 10 days. They didn't rush me back into the game. They, they, they slowly brought me back into it. I mean, there's, for all the, the, the weird nuances in the game and all the kind of bad that you can hear, there's, there's a lot of light that shines on those things as well. And for people that you know, don't realize what goes on behind the scenes, I mean, there's so many different things that go on behind the scenes, just for the guys that are, are kind of fighting for their jobs at times. You know, if you get hurt, you get designated, you don't know. You, you don't have a job. And you're going in that offseason rehabbing, rehabbing, trying to get a job at the same time, proving you're healthy, sending out videos, you know, writing different coordinators and trying to say, hey, Remember me? We worked together in this organization. You know, is there any way that you have a connection? You know, you're doing everything you can to, to fight for your survival to get another chance. And yeah, when you asked me if, you know, did you ever think like, oh, I don't know if I can come back from this? 2016, one of the toughest um, years of my baseball career. I mean, I told you one of the toughest moments. 2016, you know, make the team out of camp with Texas. The day they told me, I throw down to second base. I should throw the guy out, my abdomen rips, it has a slight tear, finish the game, throw again, that tear gets a little bit bigger, ended up having to stay back, mutual release, um, signed, signed verbally with two different teams from my house, and they both pulled back the reins and said, wait, your medical doesn't look good, we need you, you know, we need you to stay home, we're not going to sign you, I'm sorry, and I'm twice, one of them happened to be a big league deal, come to find out, Rangers never sent over my new medicals, so they were looking at my old medicals, didn't realize I was actually healthy and I was fine. So I lost two jobs real quick, got that fixed, signed with St. Louis. You know, everything's going well, get designated. Um, I won't say all the crazy stuff that happened between uh, then with the Braves, but I was just being the big leagues. Um, after eight days, we had a verbal agreement. I stayed there, got traded, ended up in Milwaukee. All this happening while my dad was fighting for his life in cancer. So I played on five, five different teams. I'm 
going all over the country, and I'm not sure when my phone is going to ring and they're going to say, hey, your dad just passed away. Somehow, you know, in God's grace and, and incredible prayer, he survived and he's you know, better than ever right now. But those are the things that aren't seen. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew all the things that were going on behind the scenes that year, and that's the craziness that can happen in this game. They can flip real fast. You know, just just one wrong word here, one piece of paper not, you know, sent here, and all of a sudden you're at home wondering how am I not getting a job? Like, what is going on? And it's crazy. I mean, there's just so many stories like that. So you just you just roll with the punches and, and you just go. And I I honestly can sit here and tell you that the adversity or whatever you want to call it was the adventure. It, it, it made me stronger. It made me better. And I would not, and I'm not just saying this, but I would never, ever take it back because it's made me who I am today. And I appreciate things maybe to a greater extent because of those things and I also have a different love for guys going through it. And I want to give back. I want to mentor and I want to love on these guys and say, hey, it may look like this, but be prepared for all these things that could happen. So when they do, you're not surprised. And you're not just absolutely knocked on your rear end because you weren't prepared. So it, it's given me a whole new pre- appreciation for life, uh, some of the things I went through. Yeah, there's plenty more that we could talk about. Um, but it was, it was a blessing in disguise no matter what. The, the craziest thing that you just said to me and something I, I really honestly had not thought of before, I didn't know this was a thing, I did not, I guess, realize exactly what happened when you're designated and you're, or, or you just you, you go into an offseason as a free agent and you're waiting to sign. And I guess I didn't realize that, uh, you know, you were there. Like, to me, that stuff that uh, maybe happens, like, at a college level or whatever, where you're, you're kind of calling anybody you know and people that you used to know and saying, hey, remember me? Like, we, we knew each other way back when. And, like, I'm looking for a, I didn't real, I'm looking for a job now. I didn't realize that happened. And that's, that, to me, is, like, nuts to just that it happens at that level. Uh, I guess I was under the impression that the, that agents did most of that stuff or that, that people were – there are people out there looking for, you know, okay, who's the best catcher available? Well, Michael McHenry's the next guy on our list. I, I really didn't honestly under, uh, realize or understand that, uh, that you had to do some of that stuff yourself. Um, could you talk to us a little more about that, just kind of give people a, a more realistic idea of what that's like and, and what what – I guess how exactly uh, <laughs> how that kind of stuff goes down because that part I don't think probably anybody really knows about other than people that have been through it. Yeah, I, I had one of the best agents you can you can imagine, um, and what he did, the, the work he did for me, and, and the push through he had. But you got to think he's one guy, and there's 30 teams that you're trying to get a hold of, and there's a trickle effect there. So um, maybe I know the GM, or maybe I know the assistant GM. But the farm director, if I'm signing a minor league deal that's a split contract with a major league team, is the guy that actually is going to push that contract through. He's the one that has the budget. He's the one that can do the split contract. I mean, yes, does he have to get it okay with the GM? Can the GM you know, make some suggestions? Absolutely. But there's so many nuances that aren't known about. So if you know a coordinator or if you know a AAA coach or a big league coach and you can get a hold of them say, hey, like, what's the situation there, kind of get a feel, do, do your due diligence and understand, do you fit there? 
if you go there, are you even going to get a chance? And if you don't do that, I feel like you, know, you hear about that in college, but if you're not doing that, and that's one thing my agent always said, like, do your due diligence. Who do you know that we could get a hold of and talk to? And he would do the same thing. So that way, like, we made an informed decision. I never signed anywhere where I felt like, oh, man, I just had no shot there. I had no business being, you know, with that team. You know, they had 77 catchers and blah, blah, blah. Um, the only time that it was even close when I was signed with the Braves, and I walk in, there's 40-plus guys in the, in the uh, locker room as soon as I walk in. And that's just because there was deception there. And that, that, that's part of it. I mean, you, you got to realize it's business, and sometimes that's going to happen. But other than that, going into spring training, coming off injuries, you know, like I remember when I signed back with Colorado, a huge reason I signed back with Colorado is because I was dealing with something that I didn't know how I was going to come back. So I knew the training staff there. I knew the AAA coach there. I knew um, most of the big league staff. Uh, so it – it made me feel comfortable. So I ended up signing a minor league deal with Colorado and turned down four big league deals just because of the comfort and because of the due diligence that we did. And it ended up being better, a better situation. So I got, a, I got the same contract, but it was just split. Ended up being put on the big league roster on March 25th uh, before we broke camp. So you know, it worked out well. I spent two years there. But that would have been unheard of. For people, I, I remember getting calls um, from other teams and saying, "What are you doing?" Blah blah. But we did our homework. We knew what we needed to do. We knew this was the best situation for me, especially, you know, making sure that I was comfortable and that I was going to be able to free my mind to just play and not worry about, you know, getting hurt. You know, and that that fact was proven to me when I signed with Texas. 100% the right place to go. Made the team out of camp, but I got pushed. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed, you know, because that's my personality. I didn't have anybody hold back the reins on me there, which I did in Colorado. And I didn't get hurt in Colorado, but I did in Texas. So if you're not doing your part as a high school kid trying to get into college or a college kid trying to get into pro ball, you're doing yourself a disservice. You can't just put all your eggs in your agent's basket and say, go get me a job. If, you, if, if you're not driving to Florida and, and trying to find a tryout, that's your, that's your fault. It's not your agent's fault. You know, he's, got, he's got plenty of clients, and he's working for you for free until you get to the big league. So he's doing – literally, he's serving you in every single way, and he's doing it for free. So help him out, help yourself out, and do what you have to do, whether it's emailing farm directors, whether it's showing up at their door, cleaning cleats, whatever you want to do. If you really want to play – that's crazy to me that i i guess i maybe i'm just i just naive because i obviously haven't been through it but uh it's just it's it's just wild to me that that happens and that's 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 something that that uh that guys have to do i I mean it makes perfect sense and and i guess like as soon as you say it's like well yeah i guess why wouldn't you do that but it's just not something i had i had really thought of um so now you've you've moved on from playing and uh you spent a year helping on the Middle Tennessee uh, coaching staff, and and then you worked your way at, onto uh, uh, onto the Pirates analyst staff, and, and this year, 2020, you were supposed to begin to be on TV and the radio. Um, why is that a fit for you at this point with your personality? Uh, and I've said this to you before, but you sound you sound like a coach. You know, when you talk, just with your passion and. Uh, 
the way that you like to use your experience to help other people. Uh, you know, th- those sound like coaching things, but but you've decided to uh, to settle up, not settle. I shouldn't say shouldn't use that word, but you've decided to you've landed on the analyst side of things. You know, why why was that the right decision for Michael McHenry at this point? It was an opportunity to learn. I think I I got to go back to why I retired. I had an opportunity to play with really one of the only teams I, I wanted to play for, and I called a guy, Jerry Weinstein, going back to you know, probably the greatest, maybe the greatest college baseball coach in our era, um, and I said, Jerry, here's my situation. I got offered to be the AT&T sports analyst. I'm the director at MTSU, or player development at MTSU. Uh, I can do that from Pittsburgh, but so-and-so called, and their offer is really, really good. So I told him the offer, and he asked me one question. He said, will you be mad to analyze somebody that you're better than? Because that's going to happen for a while, especially the way you keep yourself in shape. I just kind of laughed, and I said, no, of course not. And he goes, take the job. And I couldn't believe it. Like, I literally fell on the floor, like, you got to be kidding me. Why? And he goes, you have a chance to learn from the entire league. You have a chance to talk to GMs, other managers, hitting coaches, catching coordinators. The entire bundle of baseball knowledge is going to be right at your doorstep. And for your personality and for who you are, that's going to set you up for whether this is your job for the future or if you want to coach. You're going to get so much more out of this than you ever would by, you know, being a first base coach in the big leagues or, you know, being um, a bullpen coach or anything to that manner, you're going to get to literally pick and choose information that you like from different organizations because you're going to be around everybody and you're going to have open communication. I was like, oh, I never thought about that. And sure enough, just in a, in a kindly, godly fashion, the exact same day, John Gruden takes a job with the Oakland Raiders and says the exact same thing the jury said, that his time being an analyst was an opportunity to learn from everyone. He got to see different, you know, Teams in the weight room, you got to see schemes, you got to see you know, how they ran their defense and their offense, and you got to talk to offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. You just had this plethora of knowledge to sift from. And I was like, all right, I get it, I get it. That's what I need to do. And I did. Um, I, I think there was still some fear there because I hated talking in front of people growing up. I had learning disabilities that I had to get over. And obviously, I did uh, going into Pro Bowl and you know, really learned how to deal with a lot of the things. So there's still that fear there, but I did, and I'm glad I did. It's been an incredible opportunity, and then the opportunity to get in the booth um, this year. I got to do some in spring training before they shut it all down, and uh, you really do get to see everything from a completely different viewpoint. <clears throat> the game slows down a little bit. I'll never forget how hard the game is, which some analysts can do at times. Um, and I, I do get to talk to people that, you know, Maybe I wouldn't get to talk to if I was tied down with one team or if I was a coach because of, you know, whether they think you're infringing on what they're doing or you're trying to steal something. Um, I get an opportunity to really learn from all aspects of the game. And I get the impression that that's not the easiest thing to do at the pro level because, and I, and I say that because of, with this podcast, um, in the website itself, you know, college coaches are really – very eager to share the things that they do. Uh, you know, the website at this point, we have 
you know, 400 plus videos on the site, and it's all from college coaches. Uh, and there are some some guys that have graduated into pro ball, uh, but all these college guys are just sharing all this all the things that they do. Um, and a lot of it is like what they're doing with their actual players right now on campus. But all the all the pro guys that I know, when I get a hold of them and, and say, "Hey, do you want to do some video?" They're all like, "Yeah, our organization doesn't really like us to share things." Like, I can go to a convention and speak, but even then, I got to keep it kind of general. And they really don't like us to do any video content, you know, because they that's that's the the advantage, I guess. They they want to sort of keep it close to the. Uh, close to the vest as far as what they're doing and, and what's different from other organizations. So the, the position that you're in and you get to see all this stuff, you're, you're probably right that the, that a lot of that wouldn't be available um, if you were just with one team, you know, but, but if you're a coach on the field, but now as an analyst, you know, you get a chance to do that. So, um, that you know, daily life of an analyst, you actually get to do the things that, that you thought you would do. I mean, do you get to talk to these hitting coaches, pitching coaches, GMs? Like, do you act, uh, you know, in some of the in players, do, do you get that that access that you thought you would, and, and kind of get the experience that uh, that Jerry Weinstein, you know, kind of laid out that you you would get? I do, and maybe even a little bit more because you know I, I've been able to not just sit down with players, break down videos, sit down with video coordinators, see new technology. But I get to do it almost like a fly on the wall. And I allow people to come to me most of the time. I don't usually ask a bunch of questions. I just listen. And the opportunity has been incredible to not only just be a part of conversation, but be almost enthralled in some conversation. And um, I remember one conversation I had last year between a couple of people. Uh, it was almost an argument between all of us trying to talk about how to maximize player ability through, you know, identifying, you know, what they need, how they need it, when they need it, and all these different elements. I mean, it was a blast. And I don't think that conversation would have even happened if I, you know, didn't bring up some really, like, tough questions at the moment. And they were kind of real quickly enthralled in the conversation because it's just a different perspective because I'm watching the game from a bird's eye view most of the time. And I have the capability to watch the game on three different screens. Uh, while they're watching the game in real time, I'm watching the game in real time, delayed time, and then I'm watching the computer screen and the baseball savant and MLB app as well, seeing all these things happening in real time, and they're watching the game just for the game. And then they have to probably go back and rewatch it. So, like, I just get a, a completely different look. And then I can ask questions or be in conversations and hear some things that you know, help me either piece some things together or intrigue me enough to go look deeper. And that's been a lot of fun for me, especially with all the information that's available and all the technology that's out. You can really dive in really deep and find out answers that you maybe couldn't find in the past or maybe you had to work a little harder or actually do physical work to kind of like put your finger on exactly what's going on nowadays. You can you, know, you can find just about anything you want, just sit in front of a computer screen, and then, then you go try to apply it. So the tech, analytics, data, all that stuff is moving really fast nowadays, and I know from our past conversations that, uh, that that's a part of the game that you really like. You like diving into that kind of stuff. Do you get to satisfy your need there as well? And uh, you know, do you get access to people that you could talk to to gain better understandings of of all the ways that are out there to learn now as an analyst, you know, do you get that, um, do you get this, the 
uh, I guess your 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 desire um, fulfilled on the analyst side, you know, learning that sort of things as well, or do you, as opposed to somebody that's on the field and and is you know you know maybe more hands. I know you still work with players, um, but you know someone that's like the hit you know a major league hitting coach or a minor league hitting coach is 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 with guys in the cage every day. Do you do you get that part of your uh, your hunger satisfied, I guess, by being an analyst and, um, you know, being able to dive into numbers uh, in the way that you do, is, is that something that, that you that you feel like you get to experience as well as an analyst? Diving in, yes, applying. I wish I could do more. Um, but I've gotten, so the last two years, I've really kind of dove into the behind-the-scenes uh, the baseball reference, baseball savant, baseball perspectives, all these different elements you can find on your own right now if you're listening to this podcast. Um, and there's, there's many, many more that, sh- that you can, you know, look into and really grow from. So I, I did a lot on my own. Now I'm at the point, then, then I get to the point where I wanted to go figure out, okay, what what is this team doing with all this information? How are they applying it? Are they creating player cards? How is this individualized? How do, how do guys take it that don't like it? You know, what are they doing during the season? And, you, know, you start to see some different things, and then you start to ask some different questions, whether it's to the actual person or just to yourself, and you start kind of running down a rabbit hole to figure out, okay, how is this happening? Why is this happening here and it's not happening here? And then this year was uh, where I was really going to focus on the actual math side of it and, and, and learn kind of you know how these algorithms are put together, how they're – you know, processing them and why they're processing them and really trying to get in front of people that maybe aren't baseball guys that are more, you know, statistic guys and, and, and math guys and the guys that are trying to, you know, really monetize all this in a different way and figure out, like, where it could be better and how they can kind of sift through it and then ask some really weird questions, which I love to do see their thought on it and since they're not baseball guys you get a different perspective and then you go back and see how maybe that could apply the baseball side or you talk to the baseball people and and you kind of be that bridge between the two and that's where I would want to grow more is I want to get that bridge closer and closer and closer for my own knowledge and uh, my own capability to help whether it be an individual player, a team, a coach, whoever asks, really um, bridging that gap is really important. So at some point, if you see that that you might have some interest someday in uh, in being a little more hands-on, taking a, a, a position that might allow you to be more hands-on and um, uh, you know work with players a little more closely on a day-to-day basis, do you does the does the opportunity intrigue you more thinking about, you know, college ball? Because you did spend a year uh, at MTSU as a, as a director of player development, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was the position. And, and uh, But do you think that, that is college ball intriguing to you? Is, is minor league uh, job, whether it's, uh, you know, a manager or, or, or a hitting coach or, you know, um, I guess is there any particular any particular position that that sounds intriguing to you? You know, again, being a manager, being a head coach at a college level, being uh, a hitting coordinator for a for a you know for an entire organization, something like that. Does anything anything in particular stand out to you as being intriguing? Uh, the college side is very intriguing to me. Uh, 
and the major league side. Uh, I would have a hard time um, in the minor league side, going back to what you were saying, is like being handcuffed. I'm not good at that. I am a very transparent person, and I tell my wife all the time I'd probably get fired <laughs> as a player. Uh, and that's just the honest truth. I mean, I had some of my favorite coaches get fired protecting players in the minor leagues because there is a business side to it. And there is a, you know, infringement type approach to the way that the front office wants to make sure they're holding the reins back and not allowing you to spit out too much information or give too much where most of this information, if you work hard enough, you're going to find. Um, whether it's a player working out in the offseason, whether it's analytics that you can find uh, on your computer in, in real time at any time, there, there, there's capabilities now that have not existed in the past to really dive into what uh, is going on in the league. How you apply them is really the separator, and I think that starts with just asking the guy how they're doing and who they are. So um, the college game, like I said, is really intriguing, and then different elements of the major league game for uh, major league coaching. So, like, I I would want to try different things. And that's where it gets intriguing, whether it's, you know, kind of what I'm doing now is I'm behind the scenes and I, I get to learn a lot of different things. So doing something behind the scenes doesn't intrigue me as much, but understanding baseball operations and learning that side is something I want to dig into over the next year or two. And then on the field stuff, you know, being a bullpen coach, you know, being a first base coach or – a bench coach and kind of moving around and understanding each element, I think is really cool. I think that's the approach the Pirates um, GM took in his career. He, he wanted to try different things and learn different um, things. So he would kind of move around and do baseball operations, farm director, GM, assistant GM, um, president of operations. Like he really had a vast array of different roles and each role he focused on one element of the game, whether it's pitching, hitting, fielding, um, positioning, analytics, he was focused on, on, on one thing, and I think that's an incredible approach. So when you talk about being more hands-on, is I want to make the best impact and use my platform the best I can. So if one day God leads me into being a coach or being on the field, uh, I pray that's the position I'm in is, is where I can impact someone to create a ripple set. Michael, I know we probably need to wrap this up pretty soon, but if it's uh, if, you, if you can stay for a few more minutes, I'd like to get into some, uh, I guess what I'll call quick hitter questions, just some just some kind of cool things at the end that I I think for a major leaguer are fun questions to ask. Um, you, you provided, it's right now, and to this point, you have, have really bared your soul, I guess, about uh, things you've done in your career and, and just things you've experienced, and, uh, and it's been great. There's so much that we haven't gotten into that I think would be great to get into with you. I know that you like to talk analytics and, and like to talk about uh, just the changes, you know, how the game is progressing, things like that, that, uh, that I'd love to, love to kind of pick your brain about in another time. Um, but for, for today, if we can finish with this, I think this would be a great place to wrap up. Um, and just for these, just if you can keep them short and kind of give me the first thing that comes to your mind, uh, first, uh, you know, first player or first whatever as we go through these questions. I think these are these are some kind of cool things that I'm intrigued by and, and would like to see what your thoughts are. Um, you up for that? Of course, let's roll. Okay. Uh, who's the best pure athlete that you ever played with? Daniel McCutcheon, not Andrew. Daniel. 
pitcher for the Pirates. Yeah, a, a, a pitcher. Yeah, some of the things he could do um, off the field, if, if you don't believe me, go look at his YouTube right now. Or yeah, I think he has a YouTube and an Instagram. I mean, the guy is a flat-out athlete. <laughs> Who is a pitcher that uh, that you faced either as a major or minor leaguer that you faced him multiple times and after facing him once, like you really didn't want to face that guy? Weird enough, Rick Porcello. Uh, for some reason, it, it, it seemed like he could put a ball in a teacup every time I faced him. So I, 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 w- I would run away if he was on the mound. I mean, not really, but that's kind of <laughs> how it felt. I mean, I just felt like such a little kid when I was up to bat against him. What was your favorite city to visit as a, as a home player going on the road, favorite city to visit? I can't just pick one, so I'm going to pick Colorado and San Diego. In your opinion, you've seen most of the guys in the league. Who is one uh, young player that maybe people don't know the name really well yet that you're really excited about and think he's got a chance to be a really phenomenal major leaguer? Brian Reynolds. Um, I think his upside is, is kind of wild. And another one I'm going to stick with my Pirates is Cole Tucker. Um, and I'm going to make a kind of bold statement, but he's built and moves very similar to Yelich of the Brewers, who, you know, as we all know over the last couple of years, has been one of the best players in baseball. So I think he's got incredible upside. So those two guys um, could really do some special things over the next couple of years in Pittsburgh. And Yelich took a while to become – I mean, he was always a good player, but he, he took a while to become Yelich. So that's uh, that's an intriguing thing as a Pirate fan. Right. Who Who's a big-name pitcher that for no real reason you just had a ton of success against? Zach Grinke, the space cadet. Could, could flat out. I don't know why I could flat out rake him. <laughs> what is the uh, the most favorite uniform you ever got to wear? Is just uh, I guess as far as just uh, a uniform you liked. Did you like the style of it? Like the look of it the most? Camo in the old school. You know, whether it be the uh, the Negro League uniforms or um, you know just the old school day. Usually on Sundays in Pittsburgh, uh, Colorado obviously didn't have it, but. Um, those were always cool uniforms. They're so hot, but they were really cool. But I am a huge military advocate. I have a lot of friends that served, so the, the camo is always going to be number one for me. What's the most memorable moment from your major league career if you had to pick one? Oh, it, it's a it's a constant battle between the blackout game and my first home run. First home run you know, against Carlos Normal, 10-pitch back, hit a three-run homer to take the lead. Um, went into ninth inning, but I got a standing ovation, and uh, I got to tip my cap, which I don't I don't think that's normal by any measure. I got to do it with my first home run, so I'm forever grateful to the fan base of Pittsburgh. It's a good one, whether people believe it or not. It's a really good fan base, as long as we've got something to cheer for. Uh, who is uh, You've already mentioned Michael Kadire, but that was, I believe, in your second go-around with Colorado. Uh, when you first came up, who... Uh, or, or, or I guess in your first couple of years, who was a teammate that really kind of took you under their wing and, and kind of helped break you into the major leagues? You know, somebody that – I'll get Fredo on this one. Somebody that really jumps out at me is Sal Fizzano. Um And he, I never played with him. I was just in camp with him. But he called me Pocket Hercules. And every single day he'd say, hey, come on, Pocket Hercules, get in my pocket, let's go. And I'd follow him around. Uh, and I did that for seven weeks in Bigley Camp, and um, just his attitude towards the game, the way he went about it, the way he treated his pitchers, uh, 
uh, I learned a ton looking back uh, from him and, and just the way he went out about his business. He wasn't a guy that, you know, was a household name. Um, he had a household mustache, but other than that, like a lot of people didn't know who he was, but uh, he created a really good career for himself and he always thought about others first. You had the nickname The Fort, and if I'm not mistaken, it was Greg Brown that gave you that. He's, uh, he's Mr. Nickname, which I think is the great thing about Greg Brown. How did you become The Fort, and what did that mean to you to have that nickname? Um, first off, don't tell Bob Walk that Greg Brown came up with that nickname. They do fight about it, Okay. which is, which is absolutely hilarious. Um, it, it, it just started. I'm, 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 I'm stocky. I'm, I'm muscular and short, and... I hated anything getting by me as a catcher, um, and I think I had a game where I blocked a bunch of balls, and both those guys, whoever actually came up with it, uh, you know, nicknamed me the Fort after the Fort McHenry in Baltimore, uh, the Fort that uh, the Star Spangled Banners, um, really, that's where the song came from, so if you don't know your history, go look it up, it's really cool, if you've never been to Fort McHenry, you should go, it's really neat. Um, I, I was very fortunate to go, and they did a special one at AT&T Sportsnet. But it, it's amazing how that nickname has followed me everywhere I've gone. It didn't matter what team I signed for. It didn't matter where I was. It always stuck with me. And there's many, many worse nicknames you can have. I'm very fortunate to have a really cool one. <laughs> for those of you who don't ever listen to the Pirates broadcast, I, I think we've got some really great broadcasters. And I keep saying we. I've, just, I've grown up a Pirate fan, and... It's just uh, we're we're a, we're a, if you're a Pittsburgh guy and a Pittsburgh fan, we're it's a we kind of mentality around here. But uh, but Greg Brown is a great one, and Bob Walk is one of my he's, he might be my favorite color analyst in the game. I just I really love Bob. Michael McHenry will creep in there, I'm sure, as you get on the air a little a little more. But uh, last one, Michael, can you give me? Do you have any any sort of uh, prediction or thoughts about the the direction that baseball's headed and maybe what might be a new norm, say five or ten years from now in the game? I think. Technology is going to be more available for fans in real time. Uh, what that looks like, I'm not really sure. And I think it's slowly becoming an international game. I, I think you're going to see um, more of an actual world series. Um, you know, I, I know they they already do a little bit of something like that, but instead of doing it during spring training, I think that just the way travel is getting easier, you know, how – Basically, baseball in Korea and uh, Japan and Dominican Republic, all these uh, regions and countries and all this stuff are really spreading out and diversifying. I think you're going to see something really special when it comes to how baseball could grow on a world base. Are, are you thinking, like, do you think that there'll be, there'll be teams from in the major leagues in other countries, or do you think that, like, the team that wins – uh, the, the champion for Major League Baseball will go play the, the champion of another league. Like, what do you what do you think is going to actually happen? Do you have any idea? I, I do like the idea of, you know, the winner of Major League Baseball playing, the winner of you know, Japan. I, I think all that stuff would be really, really neat. Um, I think there's a lot that's going to have to go into it. You're going to see expansion first, whether it's um, one, two, three, four teams. I think we'll... There'll be another team in Canada before too long, maybe a team in Puerto Rico. I think it's going to expand, and that once it expands and it and it goes a little bit into you know, maybe just North America, and then it may branch out. But I think there's too many Americans going to play abroad, too many uh, Japan players coming to play abroad that 
at some point there's not going to be uh, kind of a intertwining of the two. I love it. That was probably the maybe the slowest quick hitter uh, ever, but you can blame me for that. I just I, I can't just be brief. <laughs> it's just not something that's in my DNA. But that was great. I really. <laughs> Great insight to all this stuff, and, and Michael, I appreciate all the information that you've shared today and just uh, giving people a, a little bit of a different insight as to maybe what they normally hear and, and uh, you know, giving people some uh, some background on what, what the life is like in the minor leagues and major leagues. It's just so cool to hear, and I appreciate everything that you've done uh, today and the time you've spent with us, and I, I really hope that we can do this again and, and maybe get into some different stuff, uh, some things that I know are, are really interesting to you and uh, that we didn't really get to touch on today. But, but Michael McHenry, everybody, he's a, a, a former major leaguer, seven-year uh, major league veteran, uh, who's now an analyst for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And, and, Michael, just can't thank you enough for spending the time with me on the podcast today. Hey, I really appreciate it. Everyone who's listening, God bless you. God bless you, sir. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much.